Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's why I'm moving out to Antioch. Oh, really? Yeah. 450 for the room. Damn. No brainer. I just learned. It's like, really? It's like, you know, I'm going to be on the road so much to where it's like, why the hell would I pay? It's going to be more like a storage unit this year, you know? Yeah. Which is great. Are y'all getting ready to go back out for a long stint? Uh, just for like two weeks. Okay. It's kind of weird because we got like two weeks, then we have a week off, then another week on, then another two weeks off, then another two weeks on. And then we have to record an album, and then Europe, and yeah, so it's going to be a big year. That's amazing. Which I'm sure you're probably going to ask about anyway. Yeah. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the Nashville Artist Podcast. I'm Jordan, and today Neil Jones is here. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Yeah. where You're from Cookville, Tennessee, right? Cookville, Tennessee. Born and raised. Uh, did you live there up until moving here? Yep. Yeah. I was born in 91, and I moved here, and shoot, what was it? 2011 I think really yeah. didn't they been here that long yeah well actually when I came out here I wasn't even trying to play music I was just tired of my hometown so oh really they were like oh yeah did you move out to Nashville to do the whole music thing I'm like no but I just kind of ended up doing it anyway so wow did you uh do you have any siblings or I have one older brother and he plays music as well but he's entertaining this whole uh, small tiny home living thing he's not oh, right. he's not pursuing the the music he's just minimal yeah, minimalistic. That's the whole thing he's trying to do. Nice. Where does he live now? Cookville. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he actually, uh, it's kind of wild. He took a boat. He built a tiny home on a boat, and he took it all the way down to Louisiana, starting in Nashville. Wow. So, crazy trip. Took and, him about two and a half months. And it made it down there and back? Somehow. Wow. You go over the Mississippi, and you see an eight-foot-wide pontoon boat, and you think about you're like, no way. <laughs> no wow. way I would do that. Just have like a little outboard motor. Yep. Him and my cousin went down there and one steered the engine and one made sure they didn't run into a barge. Wow. I'm just glad he didn't die. Yeah. That's hilarious. So I remember you telling me like your your mom also plays music, right? Yeah. Is that how like you got started in music or Yeah, I would say so because well my dad's side my dad was adopted, so we don't really know much about his bloodline, but mm-hmm. definitely my mom's side of the family was always very musical and so my mom it's kind of funny because it's like a very polish family and so lots of everything you would think about it's like sausage and accordions every time i go down to texas and i'm actually going there in a couple days too to visit them but so my mom two of her sisters my grandma and great grandma all play accordion and then i have my uncle plays guitar a cousin that plays drums another cousin that plays bass an uncle that plays fiddle so like i remember when i was a kid going down there you know, we'd always just have like these family jams and stuff. And it's definitely what got me into it. Nice. And so you started on guitar? Mm-hmm. Okay. How old were you when you started playing guitar? 12 years old. Okay. And it's funny because people are like, you know, what, what got you into music? And, and, you know, I like to think, they like to think it's like some like romantic story, you know, of, of this and that. But really what happened was my brother was playing guitar and he had a Squire Bullet Stratocaster kind of, you know, cheap guitar, $75 guitar really just a hunk of trash with strings on it and and he's like you want to learn guitar and I was like no he's like well if you learn guitar I'll give you this guitar and I was like okay it's as simple as that I just I didn't really care about playing music I was just like that looks cool I'm 12 years old yeah yeah it looks rad you know and but then it ended up falling in love with it of course but 
Nice. So, like, did you, like, listen to a lot of, like, guitar player music and be like, oh, I really like them? Or, like... Man, when I got into it, I was all about the 60s rock. I was okay. Zeppelin, Hendrix, you know, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I think my brother definitely got me into, like, roots-based music, you know, over the course of time. When I turned 18, I started playing banjo and picked up a little bit of dobro and then eventually got into lap steel and, and pedal steel. Wow. So, the natural progression, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going to newer and new stringed instruments. So, you started out on guitar, and then eventually got to banjo, and so pedal steel is a later development in your... For sure. So, I've been playing steel for about five, I guess five and a half years now. Wow. Almost six years. And, you know, I kind of, like, flirted with the idea of kind of picking up a steel guitar, because I was playing in a honky-tonk band, and I was playing guitar... I had a little six-string lap, and they were uh, they were really big on this band called BR Five Four Nine. Oh yeah, you know Chuck Mead and those guys, and yeah. which had they had a great following through the '90s. You know they did Cherokee Roberts, Boogie, and Cherokee Boogie, and you know all their good songs. And so I got listening to it, and like Donnie Heron, who was the steel guitar player for that band, I just remember like the way like the steel cut through the mix and the, the tone that it had. I was just immediately hooked, and then. I went and saw Chris Scruggs, who filled in for this sometimes. And I saw him play steel guitar one night down at Stone Fox when it was still around. Oh, yeah. And so I saw him play, and literally two days later, I bought my first eight string lap steel and then bought a double neck and then eventually got into the pedals. Nice. That's awesome. So, five years of pedal steel. And you were like, well, this instrument will probably go further in Nashville. Or like, you know, I kind of got lucky with it because it's a very in-demand instrument, and you know, it's so difficult to play that not a lot of people play it or play it well, for that matter. You know, so luckily it's in demand, and I, you know, just happened to fall in love with the instrument, get a bunch of work because of it. Yeah, I started playing it about five and a half years ago, and I always make the joke. Uh, people ask me how hard it is to play steel, and I always say the same thing. I say it takes a year to sound bad. <laughs> So people are like, well, how long have you been playing? I said, five years, so I'm okay now. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. Both knees are operating it too, right? Right. So, yeah, so the lap steel was the predecessor to the pedal steel, where back in the old days, in the 40s and 50s, you hear on, like, Hank Williams recordings and all that stuff that people were using the C6 tuning, and it's like a Hawaiian tuning, and that's where the steel came from, was Hawaii. And it came over and kind of, like, somehow bridged into country music and swing music in Texas and you know kind of made its way to Nashville and that whole sound and you know if you hear old records like Carl Smith, Hank Williams, Webb Pierce and all those stuff all those guys uh, you're going to hear that six tuning and that's actually a Hawaiian tuning hmm. but it's also geared very well for like swing music and jazz and you can play a lot of blues on it too but over the course of time so guys were taking their bar you know you play it with a slide and guys would start taking their bar and they would be slanting it to make these chords. And they were trying to figure out, you know, well, how can you get all these voicings that you want and have accessibility? So then they started putting double necks together and then triple necks and then quadruple necks, crazy enough. And you'll see these old videos like Buddy Merrill and these guys on these old shows in like the late 40s. And, you know, they're playing these guitars and they're like, have their arms stretched out like Frankenstein, you know, trying to play this guitar, you know, that's like, three feet in front of their body, you know? So how pedal steel came around was because guys were trying to figure out, well, how could we 
do this without having all this crazy, having four necks and doing all these bar slants and all these things. So there's a guy, I think Bud Isaacs was probably the guy that was responsible for it. And I'm sure there's somebody that's going to listen to this podcast and maybe be like, oh no, is this guy or that guy? But as far as I know, Bud Isaacs was the first guy to kind of bring it into the pedal steel realm. And the first pedal that came around on the pedal steel was one pedal that would bend up two intervals of your one chord and bring it up to a four chord. And you'll hear it in a recording, an old Webb Pierce recording, slowly, I think it was 1953 that it came out. And so over the course of time, you know, guys would just be bringing these things into their garage and being like, okay, well, that works all right, but if I put this spring here and this rod here, oh, if I did this and did that, well, maybe this will work better. You know, kind of blossomed into what it is today. So yeah, to answer your question, my, my pedal still is a double neck and it has eight pedals and it has seven knee levers underneath it. Wow. So it's a, it's a machine. It's like a drum set for guitar. It's a, it's a lot to take in. You know, it's the way I always describe pedal steel to guitar players is whenever you make a bar chord on a guitar, you know, you lay your finger across your index finger and then your other three fingers will build a chord. Well, you can think of your bar on a steel guitar, the tone bar, as that index finger. It's just making a bar, but you're in an open tuning. So in order to create these other chords, you're gonna hit pedals and knee levers to create the chords instead of using your fingers like you would on a, on a guitar. So it's just like a completely different way of kind of thinking about it. Because when you press a pedal on a pedal steel, you're actually changing the tuning of the entire instrument when you press that pedal or move that knee lever over. Wow, so how do you, do you tune it once and then like, you tune it all the time? <laughs> no, you tune it your whole entire life. You're <laughs> tuning in your nightmares. Yeah, so actually the way you tune it, so you're going to tune an open string to whatever it needs to be. Like say the B's, you know, I'll tune the B up and then I want to raise that B up to C sharp. So I'll hit the pedal and then up behind the bridge of the guitar, there's these little nylon tuners and you take a hex wrench and you go back there and then you tune it to where it wants to bend up to or down to whatever it is. So you tune the guitar pretty much twice. You first, you tune it open, then you go back and tune what the pedals bend those pitches to. Do you do that every night of the show, like right before you play? I, my, so my, I have an Emmons guitar and it's really great about, the pedals are great about staying in tune. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of times what I'll do before a show is I'll tune to that, I'll tune all the pedals at my house. So then I come to the show and I just tune the guitar open and not worry about it. And then, you know, of course, if you hear something sounds funky in between a song, you know, you can fine tune something, but. Wow. It's a it's a whole lot. I feel like the more I talk about steel guitar to people, the more complicated it gets, you know. Well, I mean, the more you talk about it, you're only going deeper and deeper, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, you know, there's things too with the guitars, you know, they have so much tension where like the guitars whenever you press a pedal will even flex the body of the guitar to where some certain strings will go sharp or flat by like 4 cents. So then they have what they call compensators on them and you can if your guitar is making a string go flat, well, you can put another rod on there and compensate that slack that got made. You know, it's just, it's crazy, you know, the intricacies of it. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as a perfectly in-tune steel guitar. The thing is, you just tune it to the best of your ability, you know, and tune it to how you play. You know, depending on, like, what inversions you use more than others it will depend on how you tune it. And you're always going to tune something by ear, you know. Mm -hmm. There's guys, you know, they'll be like, oh, no, get the strobe tuner and get this and that, but it's not right, you know. You just kind of have to get it as close as you can and then follow your intuition a little bit. Yeah, it's not a perfect instrument. It's not supposed to be like 
yeah. super polished or has to sound a perfect way. It's kind of sounds better if it has that twang or yeah imperfection to it, I guess. Yeah. It's naturally got that, but, you know, you get as close as you can and you call it a day. Nice. Say whatever. Did you ever play any, like, bands in high school or middle school? Yeah, I did. So I used to play... I was telling you, you know, I was into like, um, kind of like psychedelic rock, 60s rock. And I was also equally into like ska and, and like skater punk stuff. I was like a skater kid growing up, you know. And so, yeah, I was in bands and it was like any, anywhere between like jam bands and like kind of like ska oriented bands. We used to always like, there was a couple of buddies that had this little warehouse and they would have like mini ramp half pipe set up in it. And we'd go to the top. We had like a little thing up there and we would have shows and play punk rock and skateboard and just be little hellions, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And there wasn't much to do in Cookville, so we had to entertain ourselves somehow. Playing Tony Hawk and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was like a jam band, and this was like in middle school? Yeah. Well, more towards high school, probably. You know, I started playing when I was 12, but I don't really think I got into like playing with other people until I probably got into high school. Right. You have to have those years to yourself. Yeah. Well, I had a friend down the street, my buddy Lee. He lived three doors down. <laughs> Maybe that's how the how the band was created. But yeah, we used to, every every day after high school, we'd I'd get off the bus and first thing we'd do is go over to his house and play music until they told us to shut up. They never told us to shut up though. We just kept doing it. And yeah, that's kind of how you have to cut your teeth. I feel like you know, just, right. mess up a lot. You know, I know a lot of people. They call them a living room players or you know bedroom players. They sit there in their house and practice and try to get everything perfect. But you know, the best practice is going out and playing with people you know learn how to play with other people yeah and that live uh experience yeah of having people just witness you on the fly did you ever play in church or anything no well i grew up catholic so uh, we had an organ and that was it okay (laughs) it was pretty much just like a funeral service with an organ in the background (laughs) it was a very traditional catholic church and you uh did you go to college in cokeville no, I actually didn't go to school. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Whenever I got out of high school. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think every musician kind of thinks of, like, what could I have done different, you know, in the past, you know, and what it could have, should have, you know, I'd be in a better place if this and that happened. You know, I don't really think so. You know, I got to thinking about, about that and wishing I had gone to Belmont or somewhere, music school somewhere. And, you know, really, you know, I think our life experiences, you know, my, you know, the experiences I had, and like the kind of hardships I had through my early 20s, you know, with jobs I hated or this and that, you know, my life experiences are what pushed me to play steel guitar in the first place to where, you know, if I went to music school, I probably just went and did guitar or banjo and never would have thought about the steel guitar, you know, so you can't, you can't look back and, and have regret about it. You know, it's just naturally what happened. Hey, it still worked out, you know, still worked out. I got a job miraculously. Yeah. So how long have you been with American Aquarium? I've been with them a little over two years now. Okay. And did you just like through the scene meet this person and then they're like, yeah, you should play with these guys. Yeah. And that's how Nashville works. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great town for networking. And I know a lot of people are kind of apprehensive to move into Nashville. They think it's real cutthroat and it is, it is tough to get paid. You know, I mean, you got to really work to make money, you know, on Broadway and everything. But yeah, I got to meeting uh, folks around town and I was down at Honky Tonk Tuesday I met a steel guitar player called named CJ Calandria, and whenever I got the call from BJ of American Aquarium, I was down in Texas visiting family, and apparently, I guess there were two steel players that BJ had reached out to, and they both given 
my recommendation. And he gave me a call and he said, hey, you know, I got about 19 songs. We got 10 days of tour. Do you want to come out here and kind of do kind of like an audition, if you will? You know, and we'll go out for 10 days, you know, if you like it, cool. If you don't, cool. If we like it, cool. If we don't, cool. Whatever, no hard feelings. And went out on a 10-day run and came back and he said, you want to be in the band? I said, hell yeah, dude. That was fun. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. and everything's been great. I mean, it's really, it's really a great group of guys. It's a six-piece band, organ, guitar, bass, drums, steel guitar, and, and lead vocals. And, you know, it's, it's the first band I've been in that I feel like all these guys are adults and... A lot of people think of like the backstage life or the tour life as like all these crazy parties and you know whatever you know all that stuff that comes with that lifestyle but really i mean the most wild we get is like on the tour bus we play poker and we might get a little drunk but you know it's, it's not really parties it's more of a just six grown-ass men with wives and kids at home except for me of course <laughs> but yeah it's it's a it's a healthy tour environment that's good yeah it's pretty luxurious do you have a pretty nice bus you'll ride on man my boss BJ he goes over the top to make us all comfortable as possible and they are uh, we always have brand new buses you know anywhere between 2017 and 2020 buses I think this year we have a, a 2020 bus and it's a Prevo I'm assuming uh, yeah Prevo yeah you know sometimes we won't do buses like the, all this year we're doing buses but sometimes we'll do hotel tours and and the hotel tours as well I mean you know he doesn't he doesn't get the motel late for us, you know? Like we have, I mean, honestly, like I sleep better in some hotels than I do in my own bed. And the accommodations, you know, I mean, he pays well and we also get, you know, per diem. And you know, and the, and the morale, he always tries to keep the morale high. Like we were down in Mexico one time and he's like, he bought us all dune buggy, rented us dune buggies for the day. We all went across the desert and my little Cookville inner redneck just blossomed out there. Like I was trying to t turn that thing over and scared the shit out of those guys. But, you know, he's always doing that. Like, we were in one tour. We were down in Texas, and he took us to, like, one of the best steakhouses in Texas. So, you know, I'm really appreciative of him, you know. He goes above and beyond. And because I know other people, you know, that play for other bands and, and big tours, too. I know I've got a, I've got a good deal going, you know, yeah. comparatively. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. I mean, being out on the road is everything. Like, that's not going well. It's Yeah. It's a rough life. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's another thing, too, is like, you know, you got to you got to enjoy the people you're on the road with and you, know, you just end up, end up miserable. But, you know, there's no resentment. There's no competition. You know, it's all uh, we all really do get along, you know, very well. Team effort. It is. It really is. It's a great group of guys. Nice. And so you said, what, eight years ago you moved to Nashville? Yeah. 2011. Well, that's 10 years ago. You know, it might have been 2012. Gosh, I don't even know. I'd have to look back in my computer or something. Yeah, it's somewhere, somewhere nine to ten years, yeah. So when you first moved here, you were in the music scene or like trying to do music. What what were you doing? Well, actually, I was working. So back in Cookville, I was working for a food distributor. I was driving forklift for a company doing night shifts. And so I did the same thing when I moved to Nashville. But I was working for Cisco Food Distributors mm -hmm. out Centennial area. And... I worked there for three years, close to three years whenever I first moved to Nashville. You know, it was kind of a, it was a great job on paper, you know, I mean, I, mean, I made great money. It's the best money I'd ever made, you know, but, you know, I just kind of ended up hating that job and didn't have a life, didn't know anybody, you know, and it was kind of, you know, I think it, it takes a little bit of, uh, 
those times, you know, to like question what you're doing, you know, and eventually I got, I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta change something here. You know, I don't enjoy doing this. And so I got out of doing that and got a job at an airport at the national airport over here, uh, cleaning and waxing airplanes. Wow. Yeah. And it was like a 1099 type job. And me and my brother would go in there and we did Delta airlines, American airlines and Wax on, wax off, all day long. Dude, how long does it take to do one plane? Very long if you got only a group of five guys. But we had these contracts, and they would last. You know, we had a month or two to to clean them, depending on the contract. So, Good God, yeah, you know, it's it really wasn't that bad of a job. You know, for me, I would just put on a set of headphones and just podcast music. It yeah, whatever. You know, like as if you know, if there's not somebody breathing over my neck, a boss, I'm like, Oh, this is great. I love this. Yeah. And, and really, you know, because I was working night shifts at the, at the Cisco and that was the worst part about it to me is that, you know, I was just, I was, a I was awake working my ass off out in this warehouse, you know, whenever people were doing all these fun things and I was asleep, you know, during the day and I just didn't get to meet folks like that. So got out of that work and I got into cleaning wax and airplanes. And then from there I went to another 1099 job doing, um, stagehand work. Yeah, stage one. And that's, uh, it was Crew One. Crew One. Crew One Productions is the name of the company. And we did shows. We would do like, you know, Bridgestone Arena, uh, you know, all the all the places around town. We did a lot of conventions. We did like festivals like Bonnaroo. And I drove forklift for that company too for quite some time. And that's really whenever I got to meet more, more folks like in the music. You know, because everybody was there for the same reason. You know, they were all like musicians who were trying to you know, break do something on the side, you know, and, and make a living, but try to get into music. It's either that or just some drunk that needed some, you know, beer money, but sometimes they're one and the same too, you know? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely, you know, that's, that's what got me into meeting folks. And it kind of gave me the freedom because it was a 1099 job. I could, I could book stuff that I wanted and not book stuff that I didn't want to do. And eventually making the transition over to the full-time music and, it ain't for the faint of heart, you know, it's not easy, but crew one or just, you know, transitioning, just doing that transition yeah. and you know, it's, it's hard. You gotta, you gotta be honest with yourself and you ain't ready yet. You know, you still gotta keep this roof over your head, you know, and, but sometimes you gotta take that gig and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to keep this roof over my head, but I know this is a great opportunity is a great networking opportunity and it only pays $25, but we're going to give it a shot, you know, and that's what it takes, you know? Yeah. You never know what it'll lead to. You know, if you think you're working hard enough in Nashville, do about 50% more, you know? That's true. Yeah, I mean, just, hell, give it 100% more. Yeah, there's, uh, there's there's folks that move to town and they get, you know, really, I don't know what the word is, you know, disheartened for about it. Disencouraged? Um, dis- yeah, you know, they, they come out, they're discouraged. discouraged. And, you know, it's, like I said, I mean, you got to work really hard. You got to really push yourself out here. And especially if you're not playing like, I got lucky because I'm playing steel guitar, which is in demand. And, you know, like I said, nobody really plays it, but man, if you want to play in this town, I mean, you just got to work your ass off. You really do. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes easy. And, you know, I think that's like some people get upset too about their music degrees. So, you know, I, I got this piece of paper. It's not a guarantee. And, you know, it's not a paper that says you got your hired. It's a paper that says you're qualified. But, you know, you got to get out there and pay your dues. You know, that's the that's the phrase that everybody uses. Yeah. They, they call it a seven-year city. Like, it takes seven years to, like, get yourself to where you're, you're trying to go. Like, that's definitely the story with me. Communicating you know. with people. And, and you know, whenever I first started getting playing, you know, I was, in order to get paid, I was playing a lot of gigs out of town. 
because especially with original bands, it's hard to get paid in Nashville sometimes. And so there's this band of guys I played with from back home in Cookville. And I tell you, man, I've played every rat infested dive bar north and south of 40 all the way across the state. And I mean, for two years, that's all I did was play, you know, old outlaw country music with this band. And I remember folks saying, you know, why don't you, why don't you play more in Nashville? It's like, well, pay me. Hell, I'll come out. <laughs> but, you know, I'd end up doing all these weekend runs, you know, with these guys. And that's kind of how I cut my teeth on the steel for sure. And did all my embarrassing stuff outside of town. So, <laughs> you know, whenever I actually learned the instrument come to town, I'm like, all right, here we go. Right. That's awesome. What would you say is something you've, biggest thing you've learned living in Nashville? Man, if I had to give any advice, you know, or something I learned, have a good attitude. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that, I don't know, there's some players, there's a lot of great players out there, but I've met some folks that, you know, really get a little beat up about this town. And have a good attitude, be a good hang, you know. If you want to get out here and, and play music with folks, just be a good guy, you know. And that goes, I mean, everybody in this town can play. Everybody's a good player. Yeah. You know, you got to get out there and, and be somebody that people want to be around. Mm-hmm. I think that's the ticket. Yeah, it doesn't really, I mean, you can be good, you can be okay, but if you've got stellar personality, chill, and you encourage and bring others up, that'll only make your success. Yeah, absolutely. In addition to that, you get to build a community Mm-hmm. because of that you know I've really got you know some of the best friends in the world that I've met out here and you know people like to say that it's cutthroat and this and that and I, I really don't find that to be true really it's with with my thing with traditional country music kind of scene that I'm in you know everybody that I'm, I work with are all good friends of mine and uh, we really you know we bring each other up you know we don't cut each other's throats you know so to speak so like if, what would you say to someone thinking about moving here like, what advice would you give them if they're like, I want to play music, I want to come here, other than what you just said? What well, is, like, the first thing? <laughs> Number one, don't move to East Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I know everybody wants to do that, man, but you get, go somewhere affordable, you know? I mean, people move out here, and, you know, and you get an apartment, and, you, you know, you're doing everything you can, you know, at a, at a little a job at a dive bar, you know, busting tables or something, you know, and, and you're working 50 hours a week just to keep this roof over your head, you know. I know it's not easy, but find you, first of all, find you accommodations that aren't going to make you go broke. Mm-hmm. And But, uh, you know, the biggest advice I think, you know, already covered was you got to get out here and you really got to work, you know. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, there's there's been times whenever I was working uh, Bridgestone, I'd get off you know, two, three in the morning, and then I go do an 11 a.m. gig, and then I go back at night and do another Bridgestone show. I feel like my life is a series of naps. Like, I don't even know if I've ever got a full eight hours in the last years. <laughs> I hope that's not true, but, but you know, if you're going to come to music, come to Music City and, and play music, I think you just got to come with this attitude, like, take no prisoners. I mean, you're just going out there and getting it, you know? If you, you know, if you think it's cute and, you know, I'm going to try that out, you know, you, you might not hack it. You know, you got to come with the attitude, like, I'm going to make this thing happen. Yeah. it's really You can't take no for an answer. It's do or die. It is. Yeah. But, you know, and it, and it does pay off, though, over the course of time. Once, once you do the, the hard work and pay your dues, it, it will pay off for you. Definitely. So, like, for you, was your main goal, like, to get into a band that you could be an original member of? Or did you want to be, like freelance or either one work for you or like you know that's funny you ask that I, I i don't initially i don't think i really intended 
to try and be like a member of a band. You know, I was more interested. I wanted to play honky tonk music. You know, I love country music. I love all types of music, but I really fell in love with country music and especially swing music, country swing. And so really what I wanted to do was break into, you know, what I'm in now is, you know, I play places like Robert's Western World, uh, Honky Tonk Tuesday, Layla's, you know, any bar that harbors, you know, that style of music. That's really what I was focused on. You know, I was kind of interested in touring. I didn't know if I would like it, you know? So I was just like, you know, if a band comes around, I'll try it out. And it did, you know, uh, American Aquarium, you know, gave me the call and I was like, let's try this thing out. And, uh, man, I fell in love with it. I love traveling. I'll tell you what I love doing is eating food. <laughs> so, man, that's the best thing about the road for me. The food. The food. Diversity of food. Oh, and just, and just, you know, it's something about the food, you know, the culture, you know, learn about the different cultures of the people in the area. And, you know, people are so hospitable to, to musicians on the road. And it's really like a, a way more positive experience than I kind of figured it would be. You know, you would think it'd be like camping or something, you know, and just you get tired of it. And, you know, there's stuff on the road that's not fun, you know. Things happen that aren't fun, but, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm really happy that I did become a member of American Aquarium. I think it was, it's been a great experience so far. Definitely. That's awesome. So where's your, uh, where's your favorite place to play in Nashville? Man, you know, that's a tough question. I really, I really, really love Honky Tonk Tuesday nights at the American Legion Post 82. Dude, that is fun. And I know you, you recently went to your first time there. And it's, you know, it's, it's driven for, uh, for dancing. I mean, the whole thing exists because people want to go two-step. And I mean, that's why country music exists, you know, is back in the day, whenever it came along, is to make pe- people dance and have a good time. I just love what they're doing down at Honky Tonk Tuesday. You know, they're they're really preserving the tradition of why, what made Music City famous. You know, it's this style of music that we're playing. But I, it might be a hard tie with Robert's Western World, which I just started playing this year. And I mean, it's just the, kind of that next tier I mean, the, the folks that I, that I play with every day on stage whenever I'm up there is, it's just a whole different tier of musicians. You know, all these guys that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the Opry here soon for my first time and I, I'm super excited about, but you know, these guys, they play the Opry a million times, you know, and it's just, when, when you get to be on a stage with that, it really, it pushes you to be a better musician, you know, and you learn so much with interacting with those people and it's just special, you know, I mean, if you'd have told me five years ago I'd be playing on Roberts two and three nights a week, I told you you're crazy. I told you you're crazy if I could make a living playing this instrument. So, but uh, it is really special. Yeah, I mean, ever since I first met you, you've just been kept your head down and just like next gig, next gig, whatever. Doesn't yeah. pay, fine, whatever, next gig. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like you were working your tail end off. I mean, you come from one practice rehearsal to another practice rehearsal and Yep. Yeah. Doubles, so, triples, all of it, man. Yeah, it's inspiring for me to see. I mean I'm yeah, like I said, I remember when I first met you and here you are now and I've watched your journey scale upwards. Yeah. Which is very exciting. I mean, it's always... You see me go from bad to decent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just remember you were like, at one point, I think we were jamming or something, and you were like, man, if shit doesn't shape up, I might be going back to Cookville, because you were like slaving away at Crew One. Yeah. And you are like, I gotta get the hell out of this. Yeah, I thought that was hard, and then I went through a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, man. God. That was tough. I tested everyone. I remember my mom called me... uh, 
at the beginning of the pandemic and she said you know if you ever want a place to stay you know you got a free room we're here and i was like mom you're gonna have to pry me out of this town i ain't leaving right and somehow i made it you know yeah made it through the pandemic can't believe it <laughs> right so you like when was when did you kind of get through all of that like she started to play gigs again like things were steady again for you you know i remember there was like that there was the first initial two months of the pandemic literally nothing no gigs nothing and and then like you know i'd pick up one gig or i'd pick up one session you know and it's like uh, socially distanced and like nobody show up so you don't make any money anyway because nobody's there anyway gosh and then like it started to pick up a little bit they're starting to look like a light at the end of the tunnel before that big second wave you know in the fall or whatever it was and i remember you know i was playing a show with some friends and then the next day they were like well hey the bass player was around this guy who was around this guy and then two nights ago this guy was around this guy and then all of a sudden you had five gigs over the course of two weeks that just immediately cancel because everybody plays with everybody in this town so oh well you're on that bass player oh well he was oh i played a gig with that guitar player that was with him and then you know you draw the dots and you're like well i guess the safest thing to do is just not to play these gigs hmm. so i don't know i mean i got i got lucky you know i had some money saved up I got a little bit of work here and there. The great state of Tennessee was generous enough to give me some unemployment money and I just powered through it. Yeah. It taught me how to save money too. Gosh, I mean, I didn't spend a dime if I didn't have to. Yeah, you gotta be super frugal. Yeah. Well, cool, dude. I guess I'll ask you one more question here before we wrap everything up. What is something that you love that's like absurd? Something that I love that's absurd? Yeah. I don't know. I love tacos way too much in an absurd fashion. Yeah, what, how, like, what would make an absurd taco for you? Well, like eggs on your taco? Uh, well, I've eaten all kinds of tacos. Yeah, that is for sure. Tacos. Well, uh, one story, I, we were going through, uh, we were doing this whole Western tour. We did literally every single state out West. We started it. Oh, God, it was a whole mess. All right, I'll try to make this quick. So I woke up one day. We had a, we had a thing in uh, Dallas or Fort Worth at Magnolia Motor Lounge. And I get a call from BJ. He said, uh, hey, what's going on with your flight? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. You just woke me up. And he's like, oh, well, just get down to the airport. Your flight canceled. I'll have you a flight whenever you get there. So I literally just crawled out of bed, went immediately to the airport with my guitar, and had a flight by the time I showed up there. Had a layover and some midwestern i don't know middle of nowhere wherever it was and then showed up to the gig like an hour or like 15 minutes before we were supposed to play then like all this stuff happened like we had this merch guy that got mad and quit because of something or the other and then we had a tour bus driver that wasn't qualified to pull a trailer so his wife had to pull a trailer in a yukon and then the transmission blew in amarillo and all the while all this like craziness was happening i was just eating food i was just <laughs> i was just like eating tacos you know so like the first three days after we got our our second bus after the transmission blew we stopped by this place and we had some really great tacos and shane the guitar player he was like man you really like tacos don't you and i was like dude i can eat tacos every day of my life he's like bet you can't i was like what do you want to bet he's like bet you 25 dollars you can't eat tacos from a from a mexican restaurant every day of this tour it was a 21-day tour. I said, game on, dude. Let's go. So 
he knew I had them. And I'm, I'm, and it was a great tour, man. I mean, the Mexican food from is completely different from Arizona to New Mexico to California, Denver, Salt Lake, all these places. They're all like their own style, you know. And so we got up to Haley, Idaho. It was the 20th day of tour. I had two more days to eat tacos and win this $25 in glory. And apparently Haley, Idaho is a very Catholic Christian town. And uh, it was a Sunday and every single Mexican restaurant was closed. Taco Bell. And it, I don't think it would have counted. I don't even know if there was a Taco Bell in that town either, oh. at least at least in walking distance from where we were. Whatever the case, I wasn't able to make that taco happen. And I came up to Shane. I was like, you know, you win by default. And he's like, yeah, you had me. And I was like, here's your $25. You win fair and square. And he's like, all right. He's like, I won't make that stupid bet again. <laughs> Damn. So, yeah, you would have sealed the deal. Yep. Oh. It takes years of training eating tacos like that. What's your favorite taco combination? Man, the classic uh, carne asada, cilantro onion, a good cremosa on top of it. Call it a day. Yeah, you're not a, are you a big guacamole guy? No, I love avocados though. I eat an avocado every day for breakfast, mm. every single day. Wow, that's really healthy. Yeah, well, it makes you feel good. I'm starting to get old. I'll just turn 30 years old. and I know that ain't, that ain't too old, but I'm starting to feel it. You know, I need something in the morning. I grew up eating hot garbage all my life. Biscuit and gravy and high sodium breakfast. You know, I just can't do that anymore. Right. Catches up with you. Yeah. Here in the South, we uh, take our feelings and we smother them in gravy. (laughs) 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 We're going to deep fry this and smother it in gravy and then you won't have any more problems. Yep. So just so I get this on here, you're playing a... Grand Ole Opry when? July 14th? Uh, July 13th. 13th. Yeah. Nice. And that's our debut performance. We also have a show. Um, so actually our first show, we're starting on June 22nd. We're going out for a two-week run starting in Nashville's at the Basement East on June 22nd. Sick. So you got to come out. Yeah, Basement East right yeah. down the street. I'll be there. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. Can't wait. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I'm glad you got to come on here. This is great. Man, appreciate you I having me. appreciate everything that you've just said. What I've absorbed from your presence here has been great. Oh man, pleasure to be here. Where do they find, can they find you on your social media? Yeah, well, if you want to find American Aquarium, of course, you can look at uh, AmericanAquarium.com. You can find American Aquarium on any of the uh, streaming, any of the streaming platforms, Apple, Spotify, all the social media. And then if you, excuse me, if you want to find me on social media, it's uh, kind of a spinoff of my name. My name's Neil Jones. So on Instagram, it's Steel Jones, Steel underscore Jones. And on, if you go on Facebook, you can find me at Neil Jones, N-E-I-L-J-O-N-E-S. Awesome. So take a look, stay posted. Yeah, dude. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, appreciate you.